All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. everybody welcome to dropping the gloves not a very energetic beginning tim i don't know why but thanks everybody for listening we really appreciate it we're the official official podcast of hockeyfights.com all right tim lots to talk about how you been how you doing how's north carolina south carolina i don't know where you are who knows virginia where in the world is tim wersberger i am in north carolina things are pretty good it's been uncharacteristically cold and snowy here um, I guess it hasn't snowed in like four years or something, and now it's snowing. So I think I brought it with me, but it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. And everybody, and then everybody's worried about global warming. <laughs> it's cold here. How can the world be warming up? I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know where else it's cold? And I think it's getting to the players. Edmonton. Oh, my goodness. I knew we weren't going to talk about them, but there was a little confrontation, a little back and forth, a little tip for tat between a certain star player, Leon Dreinsidel, and a certain Hall of Fame reporter, Jim Matheson. For those of you who don't know, there is a Hall of Fame for reporters. And there is a Hockey Hall of Fame. Jim Matheson is inducted into both of them. He's a very big deal. He has been doing this for years. He covered the Oilers when Wayne and Messier and Charlie Huddy were patrolling the ice. So he's been around. He's well-known in Edmonton. He's well-known in Canada. He got into it with Dreinsidel. They had, I don't know if they were coming off a loss or it was the day after a loss, the Ottawa game. And as star players are apt to do, they, they have to do a press conference. They have to get a Q&A. It's just a part of the deal when it comes to being a star player. While Leon wasn't having it, he was not in a good mood. You can tell as he approached the podium, he sat down. He was a little bit perturbed, rightfully so. Edmonton has been in a funk. They've been sliding. The last thing you want to do is get asked questions by reporters about why you're not performing, what's going on. And these questions aren't new. They're the same questions over and over again. What's going on? What are the answers? Why aren't you guys winning? What's going on with your game? How's Connor doing? Why can't the goalie stop a beach ball? Why are the defensemen's like a turnstile? It's just over and over and over again. And these questions have been asked repeatedly since I want to say December, maybe middle of December, because they've just been in a funk for a long, long time. And everything boiled over this week. Jim Matheson asked him a question. He said, Leon, what's going on? What do you guys need to do after the game versus Ottawa? 
what do you need to change? And Leon just said everything. And he, they went back and forth a couple of this and that. And it ended with Jim Matheson calling Leon Dreinsinal pissy. Why are you so pissy? And I thought that was pretty funny. And Leon said, well, you're going to write whatever you want. You have all the answers. So what's the point or something to that adage? And then it just took off. Everybody started talking about the, the interaction. Everybody had their opinions. People were sticking up for Matheson. People were sticking up for Leon. And it, it was pretty polarizing. You, you're either you know on Team Dreinsidel or Team Matheson. I want to know where you stand, Tim. You, did you see the interaction? You're, you're, you're part of the media. You know, you're part of the, the problem, I like to say. Just kidding. What, what did you think about this Q&A back and forth? It only lasted... 45 to a minute it wasn't a long drawn out thing it was boom 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 a lot of fireworks where do you stand who are you team leon or are you team jim well you know it's funny i saw the tweets about it and i saw like the video that it came from and before i watched i almost avoided it because anything to do with like awkward confrontation or like weird moments like that i just cringe so hard i just like have such like third party empathy or whatever and i just i I have a hard time even dealing with it so i almost didn't watch it because i was just like this is this is too challenging i'm not gonna make a comment about that being a typical millennial thing i just can't even deal with it (laughs) but i watched it i was really brave and i watched it it was great it was funny i think dry i'm team dry side on this he does not owe jim any answers more than what he said he answered his question i think jim was poking and prodding hoping for something better i don't know I the he has no right to call a player pissy, and no matter really what he says, um, and so I don't think Drysdale did anything wrong. So I'm Team Leon in this whole thing. Yeah, I kind of have a a foot on both sides, just because I was a player, and now I'm on the media side. You could say so. I tried to look at this very fairly. Uh, I took the side of Jim, and I'm like, okay, how is Jim feeling? He's probably hasn't gotten a square answer from these guys for a month and a half now. We've tried to get interviews with players from Edmonton. We have directly contacted multiple players. I know some of them. They've said, yeah, for sure. Let's do an interview to be told later on that the Oilers won't let them do interviews during the season. So the Oilers are known to be a tighter team with their players. So being a reporter, it's got to be frustrating when you're reporting on these players day in and day out and you want something to write about. It's very frustrating when you, you try to get access to these players, and especially during the pandemic, you can't go in the locker room. You're not around the players. You can't, you're not in the same plane with them. You're not on the bus with them. I don't think people realize that pre-pandemic, the reporters were always around. You would, you would be done with the game and jump on the bus, and you would walk by all the beat reporters for the team. So you would walk by five, six guys who would just follow the teams everywhere they go. You jump on the planes. It would be the coaches, the reporters the trainers, and then the players. So you'd walk by all of these guys and you would chat with them. You'd become chummy with them. You would build relationships with them. So there was that familiarity. And now with the pandemic, I think everybody's separated. They, they different buses, different travel schedules. They're not allowed in the locker room. So the only time you see them is after a game or after a practice and it's on zoom, or if it's, it's at a distance. So they're not friends anymore. And you can see that, that like, they don't like each other. Matheson is pissed because he can't get any answers and Dreinsidel's pissed because he's getting asked the same questions over and over again. He doesn't like the guy because Matheson has to write something based on one question. That's it. You know what I mean? And so it's just a tough, tough sledding all around. But at the end of the day, I think 
I side with Dried Seidel as well. You you can't be. What do you expect a player to answer that question? What's wrong with the team? He's not going to be like, oh, it's the goaltending. We suck. Our goalies are terrible. Like, you can't get an honest answer from a player mid-season of why they're absolutely horrendous. They're not going to do it. Yes, after the season, when it's all said and done, and you know Koskinen's not coming back and Mike Smith isn't coming back, he'll say, you know what, goaltending was an issue. But even then, that's a stretch. He might not say that. You can't, you can't call him pissy. You can't do that. What was what was actually really eye-opening, after he called him pissy twice, the Edmonton Oilers PR staff let him ask another question. He was like, hold on, I got one more. If I'm on the Oilers PR team, like, beat it, Jim. You called her, like, our franchise player pissy twice, and now you're telling us to hold on? You got one more question? Like, the ball's on Jim Matheson. Just like, I thought that was impressive, but a huge miss by the Oilers PR team. Like, you got to get either one of those persons out of the room right away because it just it's not a good look for hockey. It's not a good look for the Oilers. It just makes them look even more dysfunctional. The players look bad. It's just, all in all, it was a bad situation. You know what's funny is like he asked them what's wrong with with the team. Why aren't they winning? Why aren't they succeeding? Dry is like everything. He's like, do you want to expand on that? He's like, nope. And it's like, what what answer was he expecting? At best, he would have gotten something that was like, uh, yeah, we got to just focus on our game and score. You know, capitalize our chances, be better in our own zone, and uh, you know, get pucks in deep, and the wins will start happening. Like that's and and then he would have been fine with that. You know what I mean? Like he would. It, there was no scenario where he got an answer that he was thrilled with. So like I don't know what his his point in this whole thing was, other than just seem like an annoying reporter who was. I, I get it. He's frustrated too, but uh, it's like what was he expecting? Both of them were in a bad mood going into that room, leading up to that Q and A. You could tell Matheson knew what was going to happen, and even before Leon got a question, and he's just sitting there. He's like, I don't want to be here. This sucks. Like we're a bad hockey team. The last thing you want to do is go sit down and answer questions from reporters because none of the questions are going to be good. It's not going to be questions like, Oh, you really clicked last night in the first period. Can you talk about how good that felt? All the questions are you collapsed. Why is Stuart Skinner really the answer? Can you trust a goaltender who lives up, gives up five goals in the third period? What's going on with your defense? Why, why couldn't they cover anybody? Talk about the turnovers. Talk about your play. Talk about you haven't scored in a few games. What's going on with you? It's just negative, 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 and it wears on you. I've been on a team that have, that has been losing streaks. Buffalo Sabres, I think we lost 14 games in a row. It was brutal, and I was one of the older guys at the time because we traded away Vanek and Pominville and Regeer and Miller and all the good players. And so the people who got the questions were me and Steve Ott. We took a lot of the brunt of the questions, and it was just brutal. It was like over and over again, what's going on with the Sabres? And I would just be like, hey, we're outmatched. We're outgunned. Like we're going in to play teams that have high powered players. And I'm like, look at our salary. Like we we make nothing. Our best player is Steve Ott, and he's a plumber. You know that. I know that. Like, what do you want us to do? We're trying hard. So I don't know. I hope they squash it. I hope they figure this out because Matheson's going to keep asking questions. Like he's a reporter. He's been around forever. Leon's going to have to keep going up there and answering questions. So I don't know. It, it didn't look good. It's a, it's this drama that the NHL and the Edmonton Oilers don't need right now because they're going to get into more drama. And we'll talk about that near the end of the show. Another drama situation going on. Who knew, who knew the rivalry that existed between Brad Marchand and the Carolina hurricanes? I didn't know you're a Boston insider. Have you, has there been any animosity between Marchand and the Carolina hurricanes ever, ever, 
I don't think so. I think this is a new thing, but I'm very glad that it's happening. It's quite entertaining. So break down the the sequence of events, because it, it did start with just a very innocent question to Vincent Trocek by, by a reporter. And here his response is what started this whole melee of Twitter back and forth. And then finally the knockout blow by Brad Marchand, just KOing the, the whole state of Carolina. You included Tim, you got knocked out by one of your own. So break down the events of what happened here, because it really progressed quickly. It escalated pretty fast. Yeah, so Trocek was asked by the media um, if his game style was similar to Brad Marchand, which I think is a fair question. And he said something like, are you calling me a rat? And uh, and probably, I'm sure he got a laugh and that was it. And Marchand got a wind of it. And he posted on Instagram and he posted um, that quote and he posted his stats for his career and Trocek's stats for his career. And it said something like, that's, compar- that's like comparing a Lambo to a Prius. Which is, I mean, it is spot on. Like he is, he has outplayed Trocek for his entire career. He's better in every way, um, including the cup that he's got to his name too. So um, everyone, you know, laughed at that, whatever. And then Trocek, in fairness, got the better of him in that game. The Carolina Hurricanes whooped the Bruins seven to one, I think it was seven um, to one. Yeah, yeah. And he actually leveled Marshan an open ice hit where Marshawn dumped the puck and tried to sidestep him and Trocek just swung, swung in with a shoulder and got a really clean hit on him. Um, so he was, he was laughing. He was having a good time. I think in this battle, he had the final say until the next day with his tweet dropped. And I mean, John, I'll let you have that one. Well, there was some tweets in between there where the Carolina hurricane threw out um, L stands for Lambo. Then yep. they threw out the score seven to one. Then they threw out another tweet saying rough day in Boston, seven to one score with the Hurricanes and the Bruins. And then they put the New England Patriots lost 47-17. So there was a couple more jabs that that happened. But after that, L stands for Lambo. Brad Marchand, which was a masterclass of tweets. Like it was absolutely beautiful. I licked my finger. Like I loved it. He says you're the reason why we pay 20% in escrow. Absolutely beautiful, very articulate, very sophisticated, just cuts to the core. And it attacks not only the team, the fan base, everybody involved with the whole city. It was, it was a very well done tweet. I like Brad Marchand. I think he's a tremendous hockey player. I love the way he goes about his business. I obviously played against them dozens and dozens of times because I was in that division for a while. Loved everything about this tweet. I loved it. Carolina can't, they, they just threw in the towel after this. They said, yeah, we, you, you got us. We suck. We, we don't make any money for the NHL, even though we sell out every game. That's the thing that people don't realize. They, they see this Carolina hurricanes and Florida Panthers and Tampa Bay lightning. Oh, they're selling out every game. They sell their tickets for $15 a seat. They sell their t- like the tickets on the glass are going for a hundred bucks where you go to Toronto or you go to Boston or you go to the Rangers or you go to these high market teams, the nosebleeds tickets are a hundred dollars. So there's a big difference between the money you're bringing in when you look at the markets and Carolina has been a suck on the NHL ever since they entered the league. And that includes their Stanley cup finals run. So 20% them causing the escrow is not even an exaggeration. They're a main factor. Why the NHL loses money every single year. It's all those teams in the South. They don't make any money. They don't make a dime. They lose money. They hemorrhage it. It's because they, they can't a sell their tickets for a high dollar amount and they don't make any money. They, they try to be competitive and pay their players. So the owners lose money every single year. So Brad Marchand knows that 
And he just went for the knockout. You're the reason we we are 20% deep in escrow every single year. And it's just like, boom, bam, whammy, knockout. I loved it. And then Marsh, Marshawn, even with the Lambo Prius tweet, he threw up the stats of him versus Trocek. Marshy's good. Is it, do you think it's frustrating? And I know you can't even like, you know, I don't know. You can't, you can't relate to Marshawn at all. I can't either. Do you think it's frustrating to be him, to be that talented, to get that many points, to be that good of a hockey player? But when everybody <laughs> thinks of you, the first thing they think of is rat, pest, annoying, suspension. He licks guys rather than, well, gosh, in the last 10 years, he's top five in points. Like, do you think it's frustrating that he is known as a pest rather than like one of the premier hockey players ever to step foot on the ice? Maybe a little bit, but I don't know. He's, he's spoken about this. You know, he talked about like who he was early in his career and, and how he sort of worked his way up the system and how he was for the first half of his career, whatever you want to call it. And then basically he said he made a conscious decision to not worry about as much of that stuff and get into more of the production and, you know, being the, the elite player that he knew he was capable of being. So he still slips from time to time and he'll cross the line with a hit or something he does on the ice, some kind of antic, but he's let his, you know, production speak for itself. And like you said, he is, he is top in the league in the last five, six years now. Um, and it's kind of cool. It's like, it's kind of cool to see a guy realize his potential. I, I always go back to this. I forget who said it, but someone said the same thing about Sean Avery he said that he could have been that guy. He could have had a, a, a renaissance like Marshawn's having. He was that talented, but he couldn't get – he didn't make that decision. He couldn't get past that, the antic stuff and, and the persona stuff, and he, and he kind of just stuck with what he was doing. Um, so I, I'm, it's pretty cool for Marshawn. So maybe a little frustrating, but he knows who, we, who he is and who he was. So I, I think it comes with the territory. No chance Avery could ever be as good as Marshawn, but I agree. He probably could have had a better – career if he would have focused less on the antics i think avery took it to a, a circus kind of situation where he really just went all in whereas marshawn it just comes natural to him like he he really is like a douche in a lot of ways like i, I know people who live in the halifax area on the east coast in nova scotia where he has a place and so does crosby and so does mckinnon and so those three are always in that area everybody has nothing but good things to say about crosby and mckinnon and for whatever reason, they don't like Marshawn. They don't, they don't have anything good to say about him. They say he's a show off. He's, he is just very egotistical. He just does. I, I, I'm just telling I you call, what I hear. Today. I call BS on that. There's no, I way. do a ton of charity stuff out on the East coast, a ton. And I, I play tournaments where I, where I get paired up with teams. And a lot of times it's in Halifax. A lot of times it's like on the East coast. And I'm not even BSing you. I know you're a Boston guy. I'm not just laying on thick. But they don't like Marshy out there. Anytime you hear about Marshawn off the ice, he does all these things, the charities and stuff, like Colby Cave's wife. He was the one who, you know, was running that partnership. He was the one who's working with Jimmy Hayes' family and Kevin and those guys. Like, he's like, everything you hear about him off the ice is like, amazing guy, amazing dude, amazing person. But you never think of it based on his play. So I, I don't know about that. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you're making it up. Who knows? I do. I'm not lying. I don't know why I would lie. He's going to probably hear about this. I would love to get him on the show, but I'm, I'm telling too. you what I hear. That's what I hear coming out of Nova Scotia. Maybe he's different in Boston. I don't know. So that that's all I know. But I, I like him. I think he's a good thing for hockey. I love this. Love the drama. I don't see there being any more tweets between them and Carolina just because they, they, you can't beat Marshawn. You can't do it. He, he should have been an all-star, though. Oh, 
He he didn't get last man in. No, no, he wasn't even on the on the ballot. It's such a travesty. Who were the last men in, Tim? Who got the 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 four slots for these divisions? I actually think they nailed it. So the four last men in, one from each division, was Nazem Kadri, Troy Terry, Steven Stamkos, and then Mika Zibanejad was voting, but he can't make it, so Jake Gensel's going in his place. So I think should have been voted in over Zibanejad anyway. So I think, well, I mean, first of all, all four of those guys probably should have been first ballot all-star anyway, especially Kadri and Terry, but... Yeah, I think those guys all deserve to go. So I think they nailed it. Good, good. I will. Good. Okay, moving on. There was a pretty good tilt, Tim, the other night. Did you see this? It was my my friend, friend of me, Nick Delorier, who I played with in Buffalo, and um, Dylan. Is it Dylan McDermott? It doesn't sound right. Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. But there's an actor, Dylan McDermott. Is there not? I think Sounds there right. is. Sounds right. It, it does sound familiar. These two guys, McDermott's fought, I think, a dozen times in the NHL. He doesn't fight much. He has fought a little Delorier like five times. They, they fight every time they play. It was a pretty good tilt. There's been some good fights lately. Lucic just fought Scott Sabaran, who's back in the NHL after he just absolutely, I thought he got murdered. The last time he got into a fight in the NHL. So he's back. That, that was a good tilt. There's been a couple good ones along the way, but this was a doozy. This got a pretty high rating on hockeyfights.com. I encourage everyone to go and check it out. I analyzed it. I looked at it. I broke it down. What did you think of the fight, Tim? Did you think it was a good fight? It was a 0-0 game. I think uh, 10 minutes, 5 minutes left in the first period. So not that consequential. Nothing much going on in the game itself. Good tilt. Who came on top? Yeah, good tilt. It's hard to declare a clear winner. I thought Delorier actually was was winning for most of the fight, and I was kind of surprised because we've heard from um, you know other guys that McDermott's actually the toughest guy in the league. You know, Reeves gets all the, the spotlight, but McDermott is is the guy right now from certain players, including Brendan Lemieux said that. So um, I I was expecting him to. I don't really know much about Delorier. I know he's a tough guy, but I was expecting McDermott to run with it. And he didn't. Um, I think he kind of got the last few shots in at the end, but I, th- I thought it was a good tilt. And I like the, them waving the refs off is really cool. Like, I love to see that because it, it, I feel like most of the time guys are trying to just hang in for a punch or two and then hoping the refs will jump in and save them. Um, so when they wave it off, it's, it's exactly what I like to see in a fight. It was um, from the 300 section. It's a very entertaining fight. When, you, when you're looking up and you're watching this fight, it's like, dang, these guys are chucking. They're throwing punches. When you, it's, it's kind of depressing when you throw, like slow it down and you, and you watch the punches, not none of them land. I don't think McDermott hit Delorier with any punches. Nikki got him with one good one midway through the fight where he caught McDermott. McDermott was coming in and Nikki got him with a good one. So I, I think Delorier just from pure damage, from pure contact, from fist to face, Nikki wins the fight. He, he popped off McDermott's helmet, which doesn't do much. You just pop the bottom of the helmet and it comes right off. The optics of it, maybe McDermott looked like he won because he was more active with his hands. He threw more punches. He was doing some uppercuts. The thing with McDermott, he doesn't know how to punch. It it looks like his arm is broke and he's in a cast and he can't bend his elbow. And he's throwing like a two by four over the top and around the side. I don't know why. And I, I know where he like he trains where I trained uh, Minnesota top team with Jeremy Clark, and I'm sure Clarkie has trained him. 
to go down the pipe. And I don't know why he doesn't. He he goes over the top and around. And I think that is his major problem. He doesn't know how to fight or throw a punch because he's a big imposing guy. His fists are bigger than a like a gallon milk jug. They're massive. So I give the fight to Delorier. I know Nicky. He's a very the thing with those two guys, McDermott is imposing. He's a big human, much like I was. And this was my problem too. I don't think I scared people with my punching power just because I didn't really punch very hard. Delorier, he throws so violently. When you watch him throw a punch, it's like, oh, if that connects, you're going to die. He's going to break your jaw. He throws very, very violently, whereas McDermott just throws for the sake of throwing. I don't think his punches have any zip on him. Nikki, if he connects, that's the one thing I knew about Delore when I first saw him when he came to Buffalo. I'm like, he's going to take my job. He's a way better hockey player than I am, and he's just as dangerous in a fight. He's got long arms, longer than his height. Like He shouldn't have arms that long for his height. And he throws with just anger. And I was like, whoa, like this guy. Like I, I asked him to fight when I was with Arizona and he declined. And when he said no, I was like, okay, good. <laughs> like, I, I don't really <laughs> want to fight you. But um, yeah, it was a good fight. It, it was nice to see. I think it was a good long bout. Yeah, they, they waved the refs off, but total damage. I don't think anybody really got bonked very good. But it, yeah, from the upper deck, you're like, that was the biggest heavyweight fight I've ever seen in my life. But go back and watch like a Probert or a Tony Twist or a Joey Kosher fight. Like 80% of the punches are landing flush with the face. Nowadays, it's more it's more show, not a lot of go. But that's what you get. Did you see Char's fight with Zach McEwen and the Flyers the other night? A lot of show, not a lot of go. Char did tag him with a good uppercut and stun McEwen. And that was, that was a good punch. I know you want to talk about Chara saying, are you okay? I know that. Do, yeah, you really I, think he, do you really think he said, are you okay? I think, I don't know if he said those words, but that's what he was doing after the fight. Like he got him and he's, I think he was, cause he was, McEwen was like bent over and his head was in his jersey and, and it, so Chara stopped, the refs came in, but I thought he was sort of just like, hey, you good, man? Like good fight. Like, but I think he was making sure he was good. And you, you disagree? You don't think he did that? I don't know. I think Chara make everybody makes Charles be this saint. It's it's a very disrespectful thing for Chara to do. I don't like it. I think no, it was lame. Really? I, I think it's lame. Are you are you okay? McEwen's like, beat it, man. Get out of my face. Like, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. Get go. Go to the penalty box. Don't I don't need your pity. You didn't hit me with that good of a punch. Like, get out of my face, Chara, you <laughs> jerk. I didn't like Pete, it. Pete Blackburn tweeted out after that fight. I think it was a Sean Thornton quote or something but he's like char should win the lady bing every year because he could kill people with his bare hands and he chooses not to that's not true (laughs) yes it is yes it is okay so then okay how do you mean he could kill people with his bare hands he he's the strongest guy in the league while also in his prime was the best defenseman in the league how do you know he's the strongest guy in the league did they do a contest yeah Who's stronger? They did a, just because he can walk up a mountain and his dad was a wrestler doesn't mean he's the strongest guy in the league. I play with guys who are very, very strong who could probably bench press more than Chara on a bad day. How about a guy who's six nine and like two whatever he was and still leading the teams in pull ups? Like he's leading guys who are buck fifty who have like who look like male models and he's doing more pull ups than them. But it like doesn't make him dangerous. Guy it doesn't it does. make him dangerous where you can uh. kill people. You watch every he never fought you, you and you wanted exactly because he always said no. You show me a fight where he looks dangerous versus an actual fighter, versus an actual fighter. And there's only one fight where he bloodied an actual fighter, which is Kochi. Kochi already had a busted nose going into that fight. He's not a good fighter. Moving on. DoorDash. 
when I'm pissed off, like I am now, <laughs> order DoorDash because I eat my feelings. And so should you. When Tim gets you riled up because he's pumping Chara's tires for no reason whatsoever, him and Pete Blackburn, the biggest homers in media, you guys should start a show called Homers Are Us. And you just talk about how great Boston is, even though they just got pumped 7-1 and the Patriots suck. I use DoorDash to eat those feelings, and so should you. They give you 25% off, free delivery the first time you use them. It's a good company. The food is fantastic. Everybody uses them, and so should you. Use promo code GLOVESDD if you're in Canada. GLOVESDDUS if you're in the United States of America. Get some deals. It helps us out. It helps you out. And just let go of those anger feelings. Nice hamburger, a nice beer, and you can just forget about how asinine Pete Blackburn and Tim Orsberger are saying Chara is the most dangerous. He's Randy Couture all of a sudden. He's Tito Ortiz, the most dangerous man on the planet, just because he could do pull-ups really well. And his dad was a wrestler. Oh, my gosh. It's just, it's, it's insane. You know what else is insane? What? I don't, what? <laughs> Nothing. Move on. Ken what, Hughes. What, yes. Talk about Kent Hughes in Montreal, Tim. He, he had, did his first press conference. Yeah, actually, so he spoke to the media, and the reception was good. He seemed like a breath of fresh air, um, according to Stu Cohen, who writes for the Montreal Gazette. He's kind of like one of the guys in the Montreal media. Um, and he, he being Kent Hughes, said there obviously need to be changes. And I was looking at it this morning. When the last time, if ever, a team with the highest cap hit, the Montreal Canadiens, were also the worst team in the league. Like, how does that even happen? The Rangers like, probably did it. I, I imagine the Rangers did it when they were throwing out contracts to old guys left and right. But, yeah, it's very rare you see this. They, they are $10 million over the limit right now, but they have guys in LTIR. <laughs> so, they're, yeah. Yeah, it's a, you know what's a funny thing about Kent Hughes? I, he can actually do six or seven pull-ups. And he is the scariest GM on earth, and he could kill everybody. Did you know only that? Cause, only because Bergevin doesn't have a job right now. <laughs> All right. What did he have to say? Why is he a breath of fresh air? Well, one, you know, he talked about the players, talked about the need for changes, and I think there's some changes coming. And, and one of the questions he was asked about was Dominic Ducharme, who took over as an interim coach um, when Claude Julien was fired last year. Obviously took him to the cup finals this year, and – he was asked about him, and I'm going to read the quote. It's a little long, but I think it's good. He said, Dom's the coach of this team, and again, arriving here today, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to think about everything. It's been kind of a reactionary 48 hours, but I certainly have beliefs about what a modern-day coach should be or have in terms of qualities, and I'm anxious to speak to Dom to learn more about him, and ultimately we'll see where things take us from there. Where, how does things sound for Ducharme right now? Yeah, he's gone. Yeah, <laughs> he's gone. Like there, that was no, there's no qualms about like, he's gone. I don't, it's just a matter of, does he wait till the end of the season and ride out this disaster that is called the 2022 season? Or do you do it now and just get somebody in there to get a fresh look and get to know the players. But I think he's going to wait a little bit. I think Kent Hughes will try to find a good young coach, someone who is not affiliated with the Montreal Canadiens, someone who is new to the organization. Right now, they just keep recycling coaches through Montreal. The last 20 years, it seems like it's it's been either a handful of two or three guys that just keep bringing them back in. So, yeah, the Charm's got to go. He, he's a very old-school coach. He doesn't have very, you know, exciting ways he coaches. The systems are kind of stagnant. The players don't like playing for him. 
and you can see it on the ice. It's it's night after night after night of just pathetic hockey. And there's no other way to say it. The players don't want to play for this guy. So, all right. What else is he saying? Um, so he also said that no players have requested a trade. Um, I, so I don't know if that means like before him or since he in that 48 hours window that he spoke, but <laughs> no one's uh, talked to me. I've been here a day and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I thought it was Craig Button talked about this whole thing and he said, I've never seen a Canadian's team this bad. And he's probably right. So, you know, if you're if you're Ken Hughes, you've got the reins now. We talked about Ducharme. We talked about a possibility of shaking up the roster a little bit. What Where do you start? What's the first thing you do? Well, you you need to address the whole thing. You you have to make some moves, but I don't know if you can make many at the deadline. You have a lot of good players. That's the thing with Montreal they have going for them. If you look at the roster, you have a lot of good pieces, and you have to figure out which guys am I going to build around long term, which ones are going to help me win next year and years going forward. And, and you just have to start making hard decisions because – if, if I'm another GM, yes, I would love to have a Jonathan Duran, a Josh Anderson, a Mike Hoffman, a Christian Dvorak, a Tyler DeFoley. These are valuable pieces that you have. Can you build around a Cole Caulfield? Is he a player going forward that you can, you know, stake your claim on? And Nick Suzuki, is this a guy who's going to be your franchise superstar player that we thought he was last year in the playoffs? This is our centerman for the future and going forwards. Jake Evans, is he going to be a guy who we want to build our team around? And you have to, you know, ask these questions, talk to the scouts, talk to everybody involved. I don't know how familiar Kent Hughes is with the Montreal Canadiens, but he's not going to go in and make any RAS decisions. He's got a, a month now before the trade deadline to figure out who his team is. There's a lot of, there's a lot of big questions. Brendan Gallagher, what are we going to do with him? Kerry Price, what are we going to do with him? Those are the two big, massive contracts that we have that we don't want. And I'm, I'm talking from the Minnesota Canadian's perspective that we have to get rid of. How can I be creative enough to get rid of these guys to unload their contracts so I can do something? Because right now he's handcuffed. When you look at the money that they're spending out, that they're paying, at the end of the season, they're not going to get out from a lot of these contracts. The only contracts that they're going to get out from are Lycanin, Paquette, Pitlick, Suzuki, um, and Pozzetta, who they'll probably re-up. On the back end, you lose Chariot, you'll probably get a first rounder from him. And then you're still locked in with Savard and Petrie for a long time. And you still have, um, what's his face? Weber, who's going to be on LTIR. But other than that, you're not gaining a lot of money back. So your cap space is going to be relatively low. So you have to be creative. You have to got to get rid of Gallagher. You got to find someone to get rid of Price to take Price, but he's not even playing. So there's a huge question mark on Price right now. You got to get him back on the ice. You got to make him enticing so another team will take a flyer on him. Even if you have to eat a little bit of his cap, you need to make make cap space that that's the main thing now with you see team Seattle went into the expansion draft cap was their top priority we want to keep cap because we know the cap's not going to rise and I know it's boring to talk about but it's it's a real thing you look at these teams who are cap strapped and they're other teams who have cap they're taking advantage of that they're getting trades they're able to get players at pennies to the dollar so we'll see what happens but man it's a tough spot to walk into it's not a good situation. Bergeron really didn't leave him much to deal with. He's going to have to either lose a good player and then pick up a Gallagher, like pair a Gallagher with a Toffoli because teams are going to want Toffoli and eat some of that cap in order to get rid of a Gallagher. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. I think he stands pat for a month, like I said, but I hope they're sellers. He's an agent. He has connections. He knows what other teams want because he's having – these really personal conversations with all these other GMs. So he's, he's privy to their information 
And now all of a sudden he's a part of the group. So he knows what every single GM in the league wants because he's doing deals with them for the last 20 years. So he kind of knows how they work, which is a benefit for the Montreal Canadiens. So it's interesting. I hope he turns the team around, but man, they're going to be bad this year. They're going to be bad. They could turn around next year. They have good players, which is just, which is the remarkable thing. They need to figure out the defense. Their defense is bad and they need to figure out the goaltending. I think they have, they're like the lowest scoring team in the league. I can't believe I'm going to say they have decent forwards, but when you look at it on paper, they're not bad. They just don't have any superstar players. I think that can carry them when times get tough. I don't know. What do you think he's going to do? I'm babbling on there like a madman. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of wonder if he makes a, a, a maybe not a big blockbuster move, but something in, in the next week or so to just make a little statement to the guys saying, hey, things are going to change around here, um, spark a little bit of energy and trading. I mean, they don't have many pieces they can trade. The players that 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 are, would be valuable are saddled with contracts that really no one's going to want. The Josh Anderson is at, like six more years. Gallagher's five more years, like Dvorak's four more years, all these, all these multi-year contracts. So I could see them trading someone, maybe a Cedric Paquette. He's a UFA. He's a 28 years old. He's a, he's a valuable piece that someone would take on. He did pretty well in Tampa. He's a good depth player. I don't know, someone like that, um, just to, to mix things up a little bit. But there's not a ton he can do. Like you said, he didn't walk into a great situation, but hopefully in the long term, he's got a, a long-term game plan that can turn the franchise around because they're not this bad, that's for sure. Yeah, but I don't think they're the team that is good enough to make the Stanley Cup finals. That was an aberration. I think people really did get super excited. Like, oh my gosh, we're an elite team. We made the Stanley Cup finals. I don't think they were that team. They got lucky last year in the playoffs. And so they're somewhere in the middle. They're they're a, a bubble team, a playoff bubble team at this point, or they should be, but they're just having a bad year. All right. Mixed messages coming out of Vegas. Owner says a couple weeks. DeBoer says a couple months. What's going on, Tim? Why, why, why the mixed messages coming out of Vegas? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We talked about it on uh, Tuesday's episode saying it could be just a few weeks away. That was from the owner. And then DeBoer spoke to the press yesterday and said it's going to be at least another month or two before he plays. He's around the guys every day. He's coming on the road trip. He's traveling. He's practicing with them um, on and off. But it's basically saying he's not going to be around anytime soon, um, which is disappointing, which is, I don't know what changed or if the owner had bad information, or maybe he took the optimistic side of whatever timeline the doctor gave and, and DeBoer's taken the other direction with it. So um, could be it. He said he's not far off, but um, he should be back for the playoffs at least. And there's right now they're saying back by the trade deadline, which is a little bit later this year, it's March 21st. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope he's back before then so the night to know what they have. But, again, like nothing they'd make any moves anyway. Um, so, really, no one knows at this point. Yeah, I think the owner probably heard some early prognosis and some doctor probably said, oh, you know what, he could be back in a couple of weeks. And he got excited, released the information. I think he'll be back in February. That, that's what I think. I think he'll be back. You know, there's DeBoer, there's the owner, and there's some, the truth. The somewhere lies somewhere in the middle. They're going to be cautious, but they really want to get him out there. So, yeah, he'll be there in February. Much like they said, as soon as he got the surgery, they said target of February, you know, play date. So good for Jack. He's skating. The, the contact is going to be the big issue. He hasn't had any contact yet. So that'll be the next step. Once he gets his lungs back, his legs back, everything going, the contact will happen next. And they'll probably have another couple of weeks after that, get him practicing, get him scrimmaging, do one-on-one battles in the corner, stuff like that to get him used to, you know, getting rubbed, getting pushed because it's one thing to get contact, but it's another thing to be able to absorb hits, roll out of checks, getting used to getting hit in every position, every possible situation in front of the net, in the corner, up and down the ice. So it's, it's still a long way away, but 
I think he is healthy, which is nice. The surgery worked and away we go. I'm excited to get him on the Vegas Golden Knights. Another former Knights had a good night last night. Friend of the show, two-time friend of the show, Ryan Reeves, Revo, as I like to call him. Two goals, first two goals of the season. Hasn't scored in a while. He didn't score in Vegas too much last year. So it was a it was a big night for him. Really spurred the Rangers versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. They came back. They were down one nothing, then down three to one. They came storming back. Wins win a big game in the Eastern Conference versus Toronto Maple Leafs. Really kind of set the tone, vaults them into first place in the East. Are they Reeves after the game? pretty much making a statement saying we are contenders. We, you know, we're going to vie for the cup this year. Is this a statement win for the New York Rangers or is this the Toronto Maple Leafs just having a, a letdown of a game that they should have won being up three to one after the first? I think it's a little bit of both, but I think Reeves is right. They are contenders. They're leading the Metro division right now at 56 points. They've won three in a row. They're looking really good. And to be a team that, uh, you know, has always done well in the regular season. They have all the talent in the world. To come back against them is 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 not nothing. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's a statement win because I think the Rangers were already there. I think it's secured first place for now. But I think this is the legit team. They're a legit threat. Revo's right. Like this, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be a tough team to beat. I just don't know. Gosh, it's funny. They have three. They have three all stars. None of them are Shosturkin, who's the leading guy for the Vezina right now. And he's looked good in the playoffs before. So I think I think they're going to be a dangerous team. But again, you just it's still relatively inexperienced compared to the Capitals in Pittsburgh. And they're going to play one of those guys in the first round. So that'd be a tough matchup that no one really wants. Yeah. What do you make of Keith? He had some interesting comments after the game. He was asked how the game went. And he he said the team was soft and made poor decisions defensively. What is it? Do you think Toronto's a soft team? They went out, they get Wayne Simmons, they got Kyle Clifford, they got Jake Muzzin on defense. I know he didn't play last night because he had a concussion issue with St. Louis the game before. Is this a concern? Or do you think Keith's just saying that to wake the team up a little bit? Because the Rangers are a physical team. They have some big bodies. Washington's a physical team. Boston's always somewhat physical. This is always with a knock on Toronto. Year after year after year. They're soft. They're easy to play against. They're a high-scoring team. They have a lot of skill, a lot of talent, but they don't have that other aspect, sandpaper. They try to you know, infuse grit in their lineup, up, up and down the lineup. They got rid of their most grittiest forward last year when they last, uh, what's his face, go to Edmonton. So is this an issue with Toronto, or is this Keith just kind of maybe making the players aware? Well, like you said, they have plenty of players that are tough to play against, like the Simmons of the world, the uh, Muzzins. Like those guys, they're definitely not soft in the sense that they have toughness. They're they're there's not they're not pushovers. But I think it's something like it's a little deeper rooted in that. Almost like we talked about with the Flyers the other day. Like there's something just systemic and cultural about that that goes. I don't know if it's the leadership of a team, it's the best players, if it's the coaching, it's it's like all of this thing. But I think there's something to it because they just. This this happens to them far too often. This this blowing the leads, the obviously not getting out of the first round. Like there's something there, and I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have an answer for them. Like, what do you think? I think they are are soft. I think the coach nailed it. I think he's trying to send a message with this team. It it, it comes from the top. When you look at the best teams, their forwards are not soft. Nikita Kucherov, do you consider him a soft player? No. He gets in the mix. He gets his nose dirty. When I think of a Matthews, a Marner, a Tavares, and a Nylander, they're perimeter players. They don't get in there. They don't mix it up. But whenever it's the scrum, they find their way out the fastest way possible. And not, I'm not saying they need to go in there and throw bombs and this and that, but you got to get your nose dirty. You have to go to the places that you're going to get the puck. You're going to score goals. And in the playoffs, that's in front of the net. That's in the corners. you got to do things to just 
be physical. And I don't see Toronto having that edge. Yes. You can have a fourth line guy, a fourth total fourth, fourth line. Who's a hard nose, hard hitting type line. It doesn't mean anything. If your first and second and third line are not a very physical, even their third line is not that physical. When you got camp Engvall and Mikheyev, I know Kasha is in there too. They're not that physical. So this is something the Leafs need to address because when you look at, but even Pasternak gets in there, he hits a little bit. Marshawn hits Bergeron, never been one to shy away from a good hit. The good teams have everything. They're very balanced. The superstar Ovechkin leads the league in hits. Like he's just an absolute tank. So you have to be able to do a little bit of everything. Yes, you can be goal scorer, but you have to play physical. Austin Matthews, I don't think he touches people on the ice. Marner shies away from everything. John Tavares never does that. You know, Willie Nylander scored his 300 points. I don't think he's touched 300 people on the ice in his whole career. So it's it's just an issue they have to address. And I know they've tried, but the way to address it is to tell those top four guys, we need something. We need more idea. We really do. And I don't know every, every time they have a test, every time they have, you know, a litmus test, they fail it brutally. I don't know. It's just, it is systemic, like you said. And it's just those players. They're very, very soft. Do you think it's it's on the coaches to say like to I don't know we, we talked about Marion Gabrick in the past where his only job was to score goals like he didn't have to block shots he didn't have to play defense killing penalties none of that right and there's a reason that Gabrick was an elite player but he was only, he was traded a lot at the deadline he was never really a franchise guy and now you see what Ovechkin has done you see what Crosby has done you've seen what like the Marshand of the world will do Stamkos Kucherov. Do you think that it's on it's on key for someone like him to say to, to Matthews and Nylander and Marner to say hey points are one thing we want to win games, but we want to see a more rounded game out of you. And they're just not doing it. They're not having those conversations or am I totally way off? No, I'm sure they've challenged him, but I'm sure they've had conversations, but it's tough. Are you really going to tell Austin Matthews how to play hockey? I'm sure you should. I know. I know with Gabrick, Tortorella told him that and Torts was the hardest nose coach ever. And he sat Gabrick. He, he sat him out many, many times. Gabby just didn't want to do it. He did not want to do it. He didn't want to get in the lane to block a shot. He didn't want to back check hard. He's not going to finish his check. He's not going to, he's the fastest guy on the planet. He was never the first guy in the four check. It's all, it's just remark, remarkable. <laughs> so it's just, you either have it or you don't, you know what I mean? Would I ha- rather have an Anze Kopitar or a Gabrick at that time? Gabrick was way more skilled than Kopitar, but Kopitar was better. You know what I mean? He won cups. He was, he was a more well-rounded player. He did everything. So Jonathan Taves or Mitch Marner, who are you going to take? Well, I guess Taves is a bad comparison right now because he's not producing like he used to, but Mitch Marner is way more skilled than Taser. But Johnny does it all. Marner is very one-dimensional. So it's it's tough. You know, you, you, you can only beat a horse so much. So I, th- I think they've had that conversation. They've done everything they can, but it's just it, they're, they're never going to have it. And that's going to be the main issue with Toronto for years to come is those four guys not having what it takes to win when, you know, times get tough. But what are you going to do? All right. One more Oilers saying Kane, if he avoids suspension, big if. Darren Dreger said he's going to sign with the Oilers. Who cares? We already know that. You want to talk about it? Oilers are just a train wreck. Just like pouring gasoline on the fire. Not a good idea. Anything else? No. I'm just ready to make my points bet pick. You're chomping at the bit. Let's hear. You're on a little bit of a winning streak. Vancouver, big win the other night. I was very excited to see that, Tim. What do we got next? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of good games tonight. There's about 10 games on. I'm going to just keep the winning streak going, pick some easy ones, get back and, you know, pad my stats a little bit. Pittsburgh is playing Ottawa tonight. They're minus 300. <laughs> I'm taking I'm taking Pittsburgh. Give me the Penguins. 
outright. And uh, yeah, I'll get, I get a few more. I'll start taking, you know, risks again once I've got my stats pad a little bit more. I wonder how many people actually bet your bets, like one I get, or, th- or like thousands. Uh, I, I get a few comments every time I make a pit saying like, Hey, you bet against my team. So I know they're going to win tonight. Like, thanks, man. And I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. That's funny. <laughs> well, keep it up, everybody. Check out points, bet good company, easy to bet. Tim uses them. Very good. All right. I hope everybody has a good night. Has a good weekend. We'll talk to you guys next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to dropping the gloves with John Scott, a member of the nation network of podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode delivered by DoorDash.